Good morning and welcome to Calvary Chapel. This morning we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 6 and focusing on two verses only. That's verse 1 and 2. Well, let's open in prayer. Father, truly we need you. We need you every hour, every moment. And we ask for forgiveness, those times that we run ahead of you, those times we just try to do things in our own power, our own flesh without the Spirit. We ask that you would just, again, just help us to focus upon you, to remain faithful to what you've called us, what you've shown us, to be the people that you've called us to be, the witnesses, the ambassadors, the living stones in Hilo. Lord, that's our desire to glorify you. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's look at our text together for a moment. Verse 1 begins, And all those who are under slavery are to regard their masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. And those who have believers as masters must not be disrespectful to them, because they are brethren, but must serve them all the more, because those who partake of the benefit are believers and beloved. Teach and preach these principles. How important it is for Paul to say, teach and preach these principles. God wants us to be a powerful witness in this community. Before we get going, ask yourself, how does the world see you? Do they see you and identify you with Christ? Or are you just like every person that you would run into, whether it be in the mall, the marketplace? Do we just kind of assimilate in the world and, and no one knows the difference where we're supposed to be those living stones, a light in the community, a light in a dark place, that there's something different about us? That's Jesus Christ. That is true if he's come into your heart and if you have been born again, you will stand out in the community, not in a prideful way, but they'll recognize you are different. Your manners are different. The way you speak, the way you live, the way you deal business is different than the world. Now, our context here is, is really dealing with slavery at that time. Slavery was very common at that time. There was probably 50 to 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. And in the larger cities like Rome and Corinth and Ephesus, a third of the populations would have been slaves. And because the numbers of slaves were so significant, there was always this fear, a fear, a potential that these people could be enemies. And if there was an uprising, it would be dealt with very quickly and merciless and put down because of the fear, again, that they would try and take over the empire. Now, if a slave had run away or was caught, he would be executed or branded again on his forehead with an F, meaning fugitives, a, a runaway slave. Now, many in the church were either slaves or ex-slaves. They were called freemen. Now, it's interesting when you stop and think about the book of Mark, while we're not there today, was written to servants or those that were in slavery because it was a book of action, how Jesus lived. And in the same way, we're to live as Christ lived. He's our model. He's our mentor. He's the one that we need to ask, how would Jesus deal with this? And when we find we don't deal with it in the same way that Jesus does, we need to confess and repent 
and follow and walk in his footsteps. Well, again, this apostolic church was not greatly interested in social reform, but it was looking forward to the, the immediate return again of Christ Jesus, the Lord, the rapture, as some would say. Yet they didn't fully understand that rapture theory. They just knew the Lord was coming for them. When a person becomes a believer, he has a, a different outlook in life. And it happens from within the heart outward. If things are to happen, it has to happen with me and my heart. And when people see that change, others too will want that change. They'll want to know what that difference is. And sadly, there are some husbands that treat their wives as property, their children as property, or, or even wives or husbands either way. But that's not God's way. And I'm going to say, and you'll find it throughout the Bible, to be that light as we talked about, to be that witness, to be Christians, to be like Christ. Now, there's two major relationships of the Christian slave are examined. First, with the unsaved owners, and second, those who have believing masters. Now look with me on the screen, Galatians 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's important. When we come together, it doesn't matter whether a person has a lot of money or no money. It doesn't matter whatever that status is in the community that the world is given. We are one in Christ. The ground is level at the cross. We're brothers. We're sisters. We are family, and we're working together for the glory of God. See, God's program is love, and it's love that changes the heart, and still God's program today. It hasn't changed. Oftentimes I hear people, well, God didn't realize how bad it was going to get. No. If you remember back in Genesis chapter 6, they continually thought on evil all the time. So much. He needed to destroy the earth, and he needed to start all over. It's always been bad. It's always been evil. The wars, the murder, you look back at the times of the Babylonians, the Syrians, and, and the torture and the immorality, the sacrificing of their own kids for prosperity. In reality, it's just as bad. The fact is, all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. Now, Ephesians 6, 5 says this, Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling, in sincerity of your heart as to Christ. Again, in John thirteen thirty four and 35, you know it well. It says, And a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, and that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. So that emphasis is upon love. That we are to love and heap love upon again upon the head of someone who may be abusive as a master, as a boss. So this works as a slave, it works as a servant, it works as a worker, how they treat you. We are to be God's witness, God's ambassadors. It's important. So we're to love one another. And notice again in verse 35, 
By this, all men will know your love. Now, that's talking about other believers. So if you have a, a believing boss that you're working for, and yet he doesn't act like that, he professes that belief, and on Sunday mornings he's certainly in church, but the rest of the week he lives like the world, still we are to be that witness. Still we're to act as Christ would. And oftentimes what we're called to do is turn the other cheek. Now it's interesting when we come to, to verse 1, we see that the believer's responsibility to unsaved masters. Now, the term is used, slaves, doulos. It doesn't refer to, to free men who are hired themselves out as domestic workers. No, no. The term is found about 125 times, meaning servant or slave. In all three contexts, both literal and metamorphical. Well, the word doulos is the word for slave. It indicates a condition of, of being a slave and where it's used the most as a slave to sin. You're either a slave to righteousness or a slave to sin. Our goal is to submit. We've given our lives over, no longer under that bondage. We no longer have to sin. We no longer have to retaliate or act. What we do now is love. Love God with all of our heart and mind and soul and strength. And the second is love our neighbors. To be a witness, to pray for those Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. The way that a believer thinks is so different than the way the world does. Where once you had that yoke of slavery, you couldn't help but sin. But now, we're to act different. No matter how harsh, difficult, the nature of life is, we are to act in love. Now, again, Paul never hesitates to call slavery exactly what it is. He calls it slavery. It's, it's bondage. And it's used again, as I mentioned, in referring to us as, as slaves to sin. You're once slaves to sin. Well, again, Matthew 11, verse 29 and 30 says this, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Now, in the context of this passage, what it's talking about is a salvation. The yoke that he's talking about is this this burden, this weight of sin. He says, take my yoke, learn from me. I'm gentle. I'll give you rest for your souls. And that's what we do is we come to Christ as a believer and we learn from him. And notice, he says the yoke is easy. The burden is light. He's gentle. He's tender. He'll guide you. He'll show you how to work through each and every situation. If you only cast your cares upon him, if you only come to him, and what we do is we turn in those times. We turn in prayer. We cry out as Peter was sinking the water, Lord, save me. Save me from this old man, our actions. Now, the wonderful thing is this, that, that these slaves saw and heard the gospel. And see, these, again, they they saw that there was something different. And many responded to what they saw and heard, and they became believers. They recognized there there was something different about them. And we're supposed to be something different, as I mentioned earlier. Now, there's an excellent application of this point given by Oliver Green that merits quoting, I think, in full. He says, I personally know dear men today 
who have been fired by their employer because they talked too much about Jesus while they were on the job. And I've also known professing Christians who did not give their employer a good day's work for their salary received. That is not right. It's not right for Christians to use the company time to witness on the job. If one can witness without robbing his employer, that's fine. But the Christian testimony will be hurt by being seen talking when you should be working, even though he might be talking with an unsaved person about that grace of God and the saving power in Jesus Christ. In Romans 14, 6, Paul tells us, Let not those who good be evil spoken of. Christians must be wise as serpents, harmless as doves, and any Christian who has an employer must render to that employer a good day's work and proper respect, lest reproach be brought upon the gospel. Now, a young man and a young woman If you are both Christian, do not be any less alert on the job when the boss is absent as you would be when he's looking upon you. Your earthly master is very important to think about. may not always be watching you, but our Heavenly Father is always watching us, our master. So whether you're on the job uh, and the superintendent is a huge plant or janitor of a small office, never forget that when you serve, you are to give a good day's work and you are to, not to bring reproach upon the name of Jesus. And see, sometimes that's what we are. We're, we're not concerned with our witness. We, we all of a sudden begin to focus, well, I have rights. Certainly there are some times if, if there's sexual and moral conduct, things that violate the Bible. But most of these things, is they're just angry bosses. They're mad. Our witness is very important, and God is watching. Look with me in verse 1. We see the command for the believer. Slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. Now, notice again that the recipients of respect are really their own masters. The word master, again, uh, is dispoid. Better captures the sense of absolute authority. In fact, in Titus, look with me. Titus 2, verse 9. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters and everything and to be well-pleasing. And notice, not argumentative. When you go there, you're to give your boss, your master, the best work you can. You're not there to argue. You're not there to fight. You're not there to tell him how to do things. If he asks you for a suggestion, then we give it. But we need to be people of respect, people of love. Again, the second thing is the nature of respect was worthy of all honor. Back, if you remember, in 1 Timothy 5, 3 and 17, we saw both the widows and the elders were to be honored by the believers. This is a type of honor, too. Here we're to notice that honor that is given to the owner, it's based upon his position, not upon his harsh character. So because he's your master, because he's your boss, you're just simply to submit. You've come there to work for him. You've come to make him money that he can afford to pay you, and we need to be the best witness. That means we don't steal. We don't steal time. We don't steal things from him. We give him our very best as we're giving unto God. 1 Peter 2.17, notice what it says on the screen. Honor all people, 
Love the brotherhood and fear God and honor the king. Again, the reason for the command we find in verse 1 because Paul gives two reasons for the command. Notice what it says. So that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. Well, the first one is, so the name of God will not be spoken against. Literally blasphemed, mocked, because they call themselves Christians and they won't even give me a full day's work. They're sneaking and hiding and doing everything that they cannot do. They're working at not working. See, God is mocked. This is not far from the truth in many cases. Now, again, the, the word blaspheme, in a general sense, is any kind of slander. Slander. It's destroying the character of someone. So the transliteration is to speak harm. The biblical context of blasphemy is the attitude of disrespect that finds his expression and act directed toward the character of God. See, we're again his ambassadors. People are supposed to look and see, man, that's my best employee. She's my best employee. I can trust them. I'll know that they'll do a good work. I know that they will do their best. If they got to make a decision, I'm gone. They make the best decision they can. They don't cheat. They don't steal. And that's important, that, that witness, because then they won't be slandering God, the bosses. But if you're not doing that, in reality, you and I are in sin. And this was true in that time of those who were slavery. Notice again, God's name is synonymous with his person. Well, what do you mean? His, his presence, his power, is therefore held in the highest honor. His name speaks of the, the character. So when we call ourselves Christians, and we're dishonest, we're unloving, then people see God that way. They see him as angry God. When people begin to judge and condemn people, then they see God as a judging God, not the gracious God that you and I know, not the loving, tender, compassionate God that you and I know, a God that forgives us when we confess our sins, and he's faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, and he separates our sins as far as the east is from the west. But if they see something else different, then God is slandered. God is mocked. So when we're there, we're to be those best employees. Now, the name of God stands, again, as I mentioned, it's important to understand that who he is. Exodus 34, 5 and 6, notice what it says. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with, with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. And then the Lord passed by and front of him proclaim the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. This is what the world needs to see in our lives. This is what we receive from God. That when we begin with him in the morning, when we begin in, in, in the word and reading and thinking and praying and pondering upon the wonders and the glories of God, we go out and we're to live this life. See, that's, that's our manna that we need to get every morning, and it empowers us. The Holy Spirit brings these things back to us so we can walk in this way. And as we walk through life with God, we find that it's true, even much more than we could ever imagine. Now, notice the second point in that verse. The apostle makes it clear 
that he did not want the doctrine to be blasphemed. Now, the doctrine is the body of the teachings of the Christian faith. It's the core of our beliefs. Doctrine is grounded in Scripture, not in a theology book. Some people come to the Bible, and they read a theology book, and then they look at all those verses. Well, different people have different theology. We need to come to the Bible and let the Bible reveal who God is. When we look at the Bible, we see that God created the heaven and earth. We see, again, that man sinned and rebelled against God, and he was set outside that garden. And from then on, it's his story about God redeeming man, wanting to bring man back to himself. So the doctrine is, it's his story, it's his character, it's his plan, how we would live and be conformed to his nature in the very character of God. It distinguishes the difference between a, a believer and an unbeliever. You ever been somewhere, maybe you work in a business and you see somebody come in, or maybe at the store, you see how they treat their kids, how they treat their wife and, and, and uh, their husband. And I've asked many times, I, I, I wonder if they're a Christian. Because their actions, their mannerism, their joy, and as I'm shopping right near where they're at, and all of a sudden I'll hear something, and I go, thank you, Lord, because God's showing me they are Christians, and that's the witness I want you to walk in the same way, that people will wonder, what is it different about you? Well, the preaching and teaching of God's Word must be centered upon Christ. It's not upon money. It's not upon health. It's not upon taking over this government. It's upon Christ. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. The kingdom is in our heart. One day, while he's ruling in your heart now, one day we will be in a kingdom where he rules and reigns in a physical, literal kingdom. But for now, he rules our life when we surrender our life to him day by day. Now, those, again, who take this idea, take the preaching and teaching God's word, and they're centered on Christ, they're equipped. Equipped for what? To do the work of the ministry, to live as Christ, to lead others, to, to counsel, to come alongside. Those are the ones that will be effective and faithful in the God-given ministry that he's given them. Now, the first concept pointed to is, is the person of God, but here it's the program of God. God has a plan. And that started in the, in the beginning of the book of G Genesis when man said God made a provision, made a covering, made a plan that the Messiah would come. And that's what we're doing is bringing that gospel message to a world that doesn't know it. And that's his plan. Jesus come to the cross and he died. All those before are looking forward to what he was doing. We're looking back. We're looking back to what he's already done. Now, the program's expounded in the scriptures. In fact, in Acts 2, 42, notice what it says. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship and breaking bread and prayer. See, it all centered around Christ. Communion centered around Christ. The scriptures centered around Christ. 
the breaking of, of bread, that communion together centered around Christ as well as prayer. Notice with me in Acts 14, 13. Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated, untrained, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Again, when we go to Verse 2, in that very beginning, we see our responsibility now to save masters. And really, the focus is, do not despise your master. Wow. We shouldn't despise anyone. We shouldn't hate anyone, especially within the body of Christ. When we see someone that's mean and angry and nasty and done horrible things, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. God, send someone into a life. Open up their hearts, Lord, that they might know you and the power of the Holy Spirit to change their lives. Now, the prohibition literally means not to think down, not to look down upon a person, not to find fault, not to be looking around, sin, sniff, and fault finding. Or say, oh, they don't read the Bible as much as I do. Or they don't do this or they don't do that. We're putting ourselves on a pedestal, exalting ourselves. The way up is the way down in the kingdom. That we are to be a servant of all. Now, let them not despise them. Now, the Greek negative of this is present imperative means to stop an action in progress. Stop despising See, they were despising their masters, despising their bosses, and maybe someone here is guilty of that today. So angry because of the way they've treated you. Well, it's time while you're working to begin singing praise songs in your heart, beginning to pray and asking God not to take the trial away, but to give you the grace to go through. Asking God to show you what he wants to do and accomplish in you. Because that's what God is doing. He's using these circumstances to bring you closer to him, more dependent upon him, that you would glorify him. Now, to despise someone means to uh, attribute no value or worth toward a person. Every one of us here have been disrespectful. Someone speak to us harshly, hurt us, we lash out. No. The Bible teaches there's no time for that. We should be praying, God, give me the strength. God, forgive them. Knowing that the Holy Spirit will deal with them. Well, when we act disrespectful, the Holy Spirit needs to deal with us. Now, although the slave was spiritually equal to his saved master, the Our job is not to correct somebody else, to deal with somebody else. It's to surrender our heart, that we would do that right, that we would learn what submission, biblical submission is. In that sense, he saw himself spiritually superior to his master. One day he'll know and he's going to feel bad. That's of the flesh. That's not of the spirit. We're not thanking God for that job we have. We're not thanking God that God has saved him and God's going to do that work and God's going to change him just as he's changing you and me. That's how we're to think. 
The slave probably reasoned that in his mind, that anger. Well, I'm in bondage. And the owner should follow Christ's example and free the slave. And certainly, that was the spiritual application. But just as we're to be in the world, we're not to be of the world. We're to be as light as witness. Now, First Peter 2.18 says this, Servants, be submissive to your own masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also those who are unreasonable. And again, I imagine every one of us have had to deal with somebody unreasonable. Or maybe you've been in a place and you've seen somebody act unreasonable and there's a, this anger that gets in us and, and we can begin to justify, and this is a holy anger, and, and sometimes it's, it's not holy anger because we still have this sinful flesh. Well, the reason for maintaining this proper attitude is because the master masters are brethren. Brothers should not despise each other. As a mom and dad, I, I'm sure you understand it, it. It grieves your heart when when one child is is overpowering the other child. They're fighting. They're bickering. They're calling each other's names. How much are more is our heavenly Father grieving when there's fighting and He gets drugged through the mud? Warren Worsby relates the story of a young woman who had left a secular job to work for a Christian organization. She had been there about a month and was really disillusioned. And I, though it was going to to be heaven on earth, and she complained instead there was nothing but problems. And Worsby asked her if she was working just as hard for her new boss as she did for the secular job, and the look on her face said no. So Worsby told her, Try working harder. Show your boss the real respect. Just because all of you are in the office are saved doesn't mean that you should do less than the best. She took that advice, and all the problems cleared up. Look at Philemon, chapter 1, verse 16. No longer is a slave much more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you? both in the flesh. And yes, you do want people to do the right thing, but either way, they're a beloved brother, a beloved sister. We don't know what's going on in their life. We just know we need to do what's right. See, the social error of the owner could not be overcome by bitterness of a slave. No, no, it's only love that will conquer. It's never right to do wrong to another. Look again at verse 2. We see serve your master, but you must serve them all the more. Colossians deals with this again. Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external services, those who merely please men, but with a sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Ephesians 6, 6 says this, not by the way of eyesight or men-pleasers, but as slaves of Christ. Do the will of God from your heart. This verse reminds us that no matter how low a person's position may be in a social scale, yet he has every opportunity for witnessing Christ and bringing glory to the name of God. 
See, Paul's thought here is totally foreign to the world and can be fully appreciated only by those who live the Christ-like lives, those through the eyes of Jesus Christ. Paul then was charged Timothy to teach those concepts to the church, to the members, and especially those to the believing slaves. See, the words teach and exhort these things doubtlessly refer to the preceding instructions to the Christian slaves. See, the present-day application would be, of course, an employer or employee relationship. Our priority is not for our own comfort. Our priority is not for our own satisfaction or even our needs. Our priority is not our freedom. Our priorities are God's name and the gospel message. Maybe you've been struggling this week, this month, in that relationship with your employer. Just as the scripture says, and certainly it's about salvation. And if you do not know Jesus Christ, his words, he's calling to you, it says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. Come, if you have never put your trust in Jesus Christ, He's wanting to save you from the way of the world, save you unto himself, to give you a new way of living and thinking and glorifying him. He's made you unique above all creation. And when you begin to walk in his way, it's where you find perfect peace in the middle of his will. And if you're an unbeliever, and you come and you confess he is Lord and Savior, that you've sinned and you ask for that forgiveness and make him the Lord of your life, he separates your sins as far as the east is from the west. But it's a choice you need to make. But for the believer now, maybe you've been walking in sin. Maybe you've been in rebellion. Maybe you've been angry at your boss. You need to come to the Lord. You need to confess that attitude and ask him to change your heart and that attitude and make you the best worker in that place. Father, I pray for those here today. God, that you'd speak to their hearts. That you reveal to them right where they're at that you are a a merciful, loving, compassionate God the desires to set them free from the bondage, the bondage of the sin in their life, the the bondage of the sinful attitude toward their bosses, to their wives, to their husbands, to their fathers and even mothers, the hatred. Father, we know this is not of you. This is of the world. This is of the flesh. And Father, I ask that this morning that you would set them free, set them free to walk in your glory, to walk in your light. And all God's people said, Amen.